If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare. If that's the way you feel when you're working with horses, have a look at the website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now today we've got Shauna Carrish, who has got an interesting story, you know, not the typical sort of, you know, started riding when she was young, but she was actually working at SeaWorld as a trainer and using clicker training. We're going to talk to her a bit more about that in a minute. How are you today, Shauna? I'm doing fantastic. It is nice to be here. Lovely to talk to you, Shauna. I'm very interested about the clicker training and what you were doing with killer whales. But before we talk about that, your favourite saying or or a saying, you know, something that's a quote that's inspirational um, and that's helped you and inspired you. Okay, I, um, the one I like is by somebody named Baba Diome, and he was a Sengalese forestry engineer. But he said, in the end, we will conserve only what we love. We will love only what we understand, and we will only and we will understand only what we are taught. And I think that's really nice. Yes, yes, it is, and I can see how that relates to. Well, where you are now, you know where you are with your horses. But let's start a little bit. Tell us about um, the history of clicker training with the animals at SeaWorld. Okay. It's um, with the marine mammals. Because this this is where clicker training started, wasn't it, with the marine mammals, long before it ever came to horses. Is that correct? Yes, yes. absolutely. It is. And we didn't call it clicker training. Clicker mm-hmm. training is actually a dog term. So okay. with the marine mammals, we use whistles like those dog whistles, or yes. we used a verbal bridge signal. So we didn't really, we didn't call it clicker training, but it really is the people that took it out of textbooks and to put it into a wide, broad use. You know, so it was, it, it now became a thing and a method and a and a way to really put it into practical application, I guess, and yeah. into the broad use of it. Mm-hmm. So you think about it, with the marine mammals, they got all their food each and every day, regardless of what they did or didn't do. They got all their social interactions, regardless of what they did or didn't do. So our job was to be sure that it was fun for them. It was something they liked, something they enjoyed. We used food, but we used other reinforcers as well, whatever games they liked or they wanted to do. But we made sure that we built a really good, solid reinforcement history with us and with doing stuff so that they would choose to do it all the time. And it was so normal for them to show up and do it that if, if a you know, a dolphin didn't pop up when we said, we said, hey, come on over, you you checked to make sure he was okay, you mm-hmm. know, because, yes. because it was so normal for them to want to do it that if they didn't, you thought they might not be well. Yeah. So it was, it was a very different challenge. It was really, there was no halters, there's no lead ropes, there's no making anybody do anything. And yet we still would get in their world, you know. So yeah. it was a challenge, but it was really fun and really reinforcing. Yeah, yeah. Now, with that, you then have taken across the horses, but when you're at SeaWorld, you didn't actually have any interaction with horses. Is that right? 
That's right. I actually, my story's a little different because I was abused as a child. So when I was really young, from the time I was three up until my teens, I was sexually abused. Now, this is relevant because what we would do is we would go see my granddad. He had what we call a hobby farm. He was a neurologist and psychiatrist, but on the weekends, he wanted to go see horses and have his horses. So I, we would go see the horses, and it dawned on me, and I was about six years old when I recognized this, that they're very difficult to catch. They don't actually want to be caught, I realized. But once we caught them, we could do whatever we wanted. So I realized we were kind of imposing ourselves on them, and it made me very, very uncomfortable. Now, as an adult, I look back and I realize it was a state of learned helplessness, but it was something I related to because of being three, I didn't really have any, or even six at that point, I didn't have any control over what would go on in my life. So it was, I was also being imposed upon. So I, at that point, at six years old, I decided I didn't want to be a part. I didn't want to make the horses do stuff. I didn't want to impose our our will on them. And then at the rightful age of seven, you know, being so mature and everything, I uh, decided I didn't want to be a part of any person or any animal's life unless I could help to improve their quality of life. And then I realized, but you know what? People are complicated and people have a choice. But the animals, they don't have a choice. We've chosen this for them. So I'm stuck with that my entire life. And that is something that, to this day, is something that is really important to me to feel like I am improving the quality of life wherever that animal is or what they're doing. So so I had a very circuitous route to horses. And then, so then I was working at SeaWorld. I'd been there probably, you know, nine years at that point. And I went and saw a show jumping Grand Prix. And I, and I'm going to, in all fairness, I'm going to tell you, I saw a number of horses who did not look happy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of horses that I felt like they're doing it. They, they're kind of looked tense and, you know, it didn't look great. But there were two horses that night. I remember thinking they made it look like a walk in the park. They made it look like they were having fun. They looked relaxed. The rider looked relaxed. And I thought, I want to do this. And so now I, I knew positive reinforcement, so I, I, you know, I had a different take on it all. So that's where I kind of first even considered, you know, working with horses again. So it was a, and then I got to work with BZ Madden, and BZ Madden is an Olympic, you know, gold medalist. And it was with her that I really moved into doing horses in a professional manner, because I was... I hadn't done anything until I with the horses outside of just taking lessons to see kind of to learn how it was done. Mm -hmm. I thought I can't change anything if I don't even know what or why they're doing what they're doing. And then when I started working with Beezy, it's when things really opened up and changed. And there was one moment there that I thought was, it was the beginning of me recognizing how deep and how different the training really was, is I went to... um, to Beezy, so we were, I worked with Beezy for that first week. All I did was three five-minute sessions a day with the horses in their stalls. So I never took them out of their stalls. I didn't do anything with them. And, I mean, I did bridge conditioning, so I taught them about the clicker. So three yeah. five-minute yeah. sessions a day. 
And then the next three days was three five-minute sessions a day with a target. That was They went and had full days and did all their other stuff, but I only worked with them when they're in their stall. Yeah. And at the end of the week, Beezy said every single one of those horses is remarkably better in the arena. Wow. And that was the beginning of and yeah, I thought mm, that's interesting mm. that the training hasn't overlapped yet. You know, yeah, it will, yeah. but at that point hadn't. And that was the beginning of me recognizing just how much, how deep the training really was. So I've learned like 50 times more since I've been with horses than I did with the marine mammals. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. It's, it's amazing just in the stall. You know, it's not even an association with working in the arena. But, you know, it goes to show they're pretty smart animals. And, uh, and they do want yes. to, they do want to work with us. You know, sometimes we force them, but but ultimately they do want to work with us. Yeah. Now, what about people wanting to learn more about clicker training? But what sort of person do they need to be? You know, and this is just to do with animal training, particularly horse training. What sort of person? Uh-huh. What sort of core skills or character traits? You know, you came in because you didn't want to force anyone to do anything. So that was not, I suppose, a character trait almost for you, and that's how yes. you got into it. But someone someone else, you know, what sort of person do they need to be to be interested in animal training and particularly horses? Okay, I think that's a great question, Glyph. I think that the – well, one of the things – I think sometimes it's a different orientation for different people. Okay. I would say, because I've been doing this for 25 years, so I've been – you know, battling and and trying to get people to recognize that this science is a good, strong way to train animals and it's not a gimmick, you know. So, but in the very beginning, I'd say mostly the people that I got were the people that had tried anything. They've tried everything. And they're like, I'll do whatever crazy thing you have. So those are people that were kind of really just desperate for problem solving. But in the process, I would be sure to have them be a part of the training so they understood it and learned as they went. And so they typically became converts themselves, you know, because then they're like, this is amazing, actually. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of by default we got there. But I'd say really the person who is going to be good about the really learning and delving into this is one going to be compassionate because they, they do want what's best for their horse and they want it. They want that relationship to be a two-way street, not just so you do it because I said so. But you also, it, it does take a certain amount of learning. You know, there's a certain amount of intellect that goes into it. So I think you have to have, I think somebody ideally is going to be somebody who likes to learn and is open to learning new things and having an open mind with things. I think those characteristics get people hungry to learn more. And I think that part's really important. Mm-hmm. You talked about, you know, the horses that you're working with in the stables and, and just work with them for a week, which you said changed, you know, changed the way you thought about things and confirmed, I suppose, um, what you thought. Has it been a particular horse? It's almost like a case study that you think this is one horse that stands out above the others or have you had ongoing equal results with all horses? Well, you know, I, I think it is very different. And there's different there's different reasons why I've really gravitated towards different horses. Mm-hmm. I have a big a penchant myself for the ones that are either have huge big personalities and have often been misunderstood. 
Yeah. You know, so people yeah. have tried to shut them down. They've kind of gotten themselves maybe a little dangerous because the horse is just pushing it all over. But the, so I like those because I want them, I want all that personality. I just want to teach them some impulse control and some self-regulation so they learn when can I be my wild, fun self and, and, can, and teach them how to hunker down and focus. And then the other ones I really love are the really timid, shut down, have been, they're so afraid of the world or angry at the world and trying to help them to come around. So I'd say there's one was a huge case study and it was with John and Beasy and it was a horse who was, uh, didn't like jumping water. Mm-hmm. It was the water, the open water. And he, he was such a classic case study. They pulled him from shows and put the time in to really turn him around. So that was a big case study in that kind of professional capacity. And he was a stallion. And what was neat is when she took him to a place called Spruce Meadows and took him in the arena yeah. for the first time to go now go do this at a show, she just rode by the water and, and he would normally bulge away from the water and he was nice and soft and Beezy clicked and he nickered. Mm. Now, and that to me, I love that because he knew it was game on. So yeah. he was like, <laughs> he was happy that he was about to play his favorite game. Mm-hmm. So that I think really embodies what we want from our performance horses. But I'd say that there's been so many special horses and, and special people that have put the time in and committed to turning the horses around and seeing a different side of them. I'm working with one now. He's my horse. And he was an off-the-track thoroughbred who was really angry. He just, he didn't like his life. You know, every day was suspicious of everything. For the longest time, he did things not, he did things for the food and not for me and the relationship, which he now does things for the relationship. He'll, he decides that I'm, whatever we're going to do, it must be okay. But it took a long time to really get him to turn around and start to see the world a little differently, but he still is. Each person he gets to know and work with, because he has a, a broad group, it's still you have to earn your way with him. <laughs> and and so it's, it, I love that he is turning around and getting better. But he is he was a hard one that was hard to win over, you know. But but there's plenty of those out there, and he just I love watching him come around. So. And maybe that's most relevant now because it is now in my life, you know. But yeah, there's been yeah. so many hard mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ones. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available. And the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry... If you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats you know i'm thinking about the people that you first had you know that they were interested in problem solving and compassionate and they wanted to learn 
But have you had challenges from other people that just said, oh, that's just fairy stuff, that's just, you know, it's no good, that doesn't work with horses, go back to sea world. Have you had problems like that? Because I imagine that, (laughs) you know, you've been doing it for 20 years, so it would have been a fairly new training method back then. You know, there's there's a lot of research going on now about the positive contribution that the clicker training or or the method of training reward rather than punishment is is better. But, you know, I'm just wondering, I can imagine some of the the conversations that you had with people, some, I suppose, conversations at you and about you. Do you want to talk to us about that? Yes. Mm. Yes, yes. And, well, and in the very beginning, after I watched that show Jumping Grand Prix and I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, and and then I looked into horse training and I was like, horse people don't know about positive reinforcement. Mm. That's crazy. They'll be so excited. Well, I have access to Grand Prix show jumpers and I kept asking and everybody said, no, you can't do that. Horses don't learn like that. That's not how it's done. They're not smart enough to learn like this. And I kept thinking to myself, I personally have seen you know, target-trained hyenas, lions, tigers, meerkats, hippos, rhinos, sharks, goldfish, giraffes, llamas. But I hadn't worked with horses at that part, so point. So I thought, well, maybe they can. I don't. I don't quite know why they wouldn't. But I, I really did hit such resistance. And then I think one of the things I really had to learn. Is And I can still do it to this day. There's certain people you start to talk, and in the very beginning, if they didn't get it, I thought, well, it's science. I'm just not explaining the science. So <laughs> yes. I was just like, you know, excited and happy, but keeping to try to do it. And then I realized, you're not ready to hear this, you know? And so mm. now I there's times when I start talking to somebody, I can tell they're not ready to hear it. So yep. I just let it go. I just think, let's talk about the weather. Let's do something else. Let's. So let's not even address it. Just let it go, and when they're ready, they'll come around. So I think it really is trying to recognize if the person is ready to hear it or not, because there still is there's something called cognitive dissonance, and it is a lot of well. And that's like, let's say I'm talking to somebody, and they start hearing about this method, and it's very different from what they do. And it kind of conflicts with what they do. So they can't accept them both. So they pick the one. So they have to eschew the the new method in order to stick with what they knew. You know, so it kind of is a, it's almost like disregarding the science. And there's certain people that are in that place. And for what, for different, a whole slew of reasons. Sometimes it's guilt, you know, they'll feel like, oh, then I haven't been as good as I have. Or then they think, oh, or I've put so much money and time into learning this way. Now you're telling me I, so it could be a whole slew of reasons. And so I don't push that. I'm like, it's okay. You know, we can, you can do what you do. Everybody's doing the best they can. Mm. And when they're ready, they'll come around. So I've really learned not to ram it down people's throats, you know, but just to think it's okay. We're all on this path. And in the very beginning, and I think this was really important, and and as I talk to people now that are newer with positive reinforcement, there can be a real intolerance for what people have been doing. So you imagine, I go start working with Olympic, you know, medalists in show jumping and dressage, and they're not going to abandon everything they do and, and just switch over to what I'm doing. There are sure. professionals who are yeah. 
at the, the height of their game. So what you kind of have to be ready to do is we're just going to address this little piece for now and then this little piece and then this little piece and, and recognizing that it's going to be a migration and everybody's on their own path and their own journey and they'll get there when they get there if I've done my job right, you know, if I've educated correctly and then I let them make their own decisions. I don't say what you're doing is wrong or good or bad or better or worse or whatever. I just say there's this and there's this and you can make up your own mind and I find that been a huge freedom for people. Just like with the horses, we want to give the horses choice. Mm. And we want to say, will you do this? Will you not do it? We have to do the same for the people. So sometimes the newer people get a little bit in people's grill about it. They're like, that's not, it doesn't help anybody to have an open mind. You know, you can actually get people to dig their heels in and not mean to, but you know, it's with good intentions, but it can still kind of backfire. Yes, yes. I like the way that you, um, I suppose you're giving people choice the same as you're giving horses choice. It's almost like you've learned how to train, you know, animals at SeaWorld, you've learned how to train horses, and now you're learning how to train people to be open almost to the ideas. You know, you're not forcing them down their throats. You're just saying, well, this is what I see and giving them the choice. Yes, exactly. Mm. And I really do think about when I'm working with people, and sometimes, you know, you'll hit somebody that, feels not hit them. I don't hit anything. <laughs> but, you know, I'll come across somebody feels a little more resistant. They're here and they're wanting to learn, but they're full of butts and I can't yeah. and I don't and I won't. And I try to think, you know what? If I were working with a horse who was saying butt and I don't and I don't want to and I don't like this and I don't like people or whatever yeah. it was, yeah. I wouldn't get impatient. I wouldn't. Mm. I would just think for, for today, we'll take this little teeny tiny piece and we'll celebrate this little teeny tiny piece and that's all there is to it. So I try to really slow myself down and have that same patience and understanding with the people that I do with the horses. And yeah. it's, it's clearly much easier to do with the horses for most people. But I think it's part of our art and part of our skill is learning how to let people have that same freedom and mm-hmm. know that we have the tools to help them learn a new way, you know, or, or another tool for their toolbox, as it were. Yes, yes, yes. You said you went out to the um, that original Grand Prix and you saw two riders, two horses that were happy and a lot of ones that weren't. What do you think is a common thing or a common idea that people have? What could you say? If you were going to say one training message, one lesson to someone, you know, thinking that we've got a, a very uh-huh. wide – uh, varied audience, all with interest with horses, but from all over the world and with different types of interests in horses. You know, there might be stock horses or show jumpers or eventers right. or carriage drivers or, you know, people that use horses for therapy. But what's one common fault that you see that people aren't using the right communication with horses? What's, yeah, one lesson? You know, this is going to sound, I mean, it's a little bit tricky, mm. but I think. That training should be fun. Yes. It, be, it should be fun for us and fun for the horses. And I think when I, I watch people, I see people get too tense about it, you know, so they get too intense and too, they get an agenda and pretty soon the horse feels that agenda. And instead of just saying, it's going to take what it takes. And one of the things I say a lot is slow down, you'll go faster. Yes. So instead of going in and going, we have to get there, we got to do this and we're going to do it now and oh, go, 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 go. Instead, just say, hey, if we can get this little piece and if we can relax 
and make sure the horse is having fun and that we're having fun. I mean, I think it makes a huge difference in, in where we go. You think about everybody at one point time was a little kid who fell in love with horses. I mean, mostly, you know, I was a little different thing, but I turned like a 12 year old kid in my thirties. So, you know, I was there too, but I think, but everybody loved horses and wanted to do it for the horse. And then the next thing you know, they're a professional and they have a string of horses and they have clients and they have to do this and they have show pressure to make sure that this happens. And oh, go, go, Or they get intimidated is another thing. I think horses being large and if it feels a little out of control, they can get scared. And, you know, what happens when we're driving and someone pulls out in front of us? Mm. We get frightened. Yep. But, but a lot of times we'll say, like, why would you do that? We get kind of, it comes out with anger. And it's not really. We actually got afraid. And I think people often do that with horses a bit. They get frightened by something, and then they, they want to take control, and they want to, and they can get a little tense. When really, if we can recognize that the horse was actually quite afraid, there yeah. are no bad horses. Yeah. You know, horses aren't out there to be bad. They've learned how to cope and to live in their world. Mm-hmm. And so when they do things, even aggressive horses that want to kill humans, they taught that. We, they learned that from humans. You know, so I try to look and think, okay, there, it's not a bad horse. This is what's worked for him. It's my job to change that. And, and, and turn that around to be something else. So I yes. think if we could, this would be another thing, I guess, besides the having fun with the horses. But keeping in mind, if any behavior increases or then maintains in frequency, something's reinforcing it. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. So if a horse, horse is biting, it works for him for whatever reason. So our job is then to think, well, let's make something else be more reinforcing than biting. So instead of looking at it as being bad or trying to be stubborn or trying to be, but if we can stop and think this works for him for some reason, I think sometimes it makes it easier for us to come up with a compassionate solution, you know, and to see it from the horse's standpoint a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Shauna, where are you going with this? Have you got plans for the future? What, you know, if you've got a world tour going on or you've got, you know, horses that you're working with, what, what have you got planned for the future? I did, um, I kind of hunkered down here because I am in now in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yep. And we have, there's a gal who built the property, or uh, didn't build the property. She boarded here. She ended up buying the facility where she boarded her dressage horses and wants to turn it into a positive reinforcement training facility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she invited me to come here. And so I'm a big part of turning it into a place where people can come and learn and, and get through stuff, you know, because we can learn a certain amount online, we can learn a certain amount um, through studies, but there's a certain amount that just needs to be hands-on. I can't prepare anybody for all the possible scenarios that are out there, but if they can come and kind of learn how we do things and watch and, and have a place to do an intense workshop, I think we can help people to have success right out of the chute. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on here, but I still... I kind of am thinking it's, I need to get back to doing, uh, you know, getting on the road a little bit more. We're doing, uh, we're going to, I'm going to go to the winter circuit. Uh, it's a desert circuit here in California with some professionals and do that. And then we're going to be at the World Cup, not demonstrating or anything, but there's a World Cup uh, equestrian winner or the World Equestrian Games will be here in, in April. So we're going to okay, go there. Yes. So I'm really 
I guess what we're really trying to do, I'm trying to reach more, and I also have another book in the works. So my book is 20 years by now. <laughs> so I am working on a new book. And the, um, but what I really want to do is I want to reach the people, there's a big, broad range of people that do want to compete. And they want to, they're not always professionals, but they do want to compete. And you can have a horse enjoy and like competing, but it takes, you need to prepare them for that. We can't assume they like that. But with this training, we can get it where they love the shows and they love doing the elements of it. So it's really trying to reach a lot of the, the what we call amateur owners here and trying to help people to take the training and put it into mainstream work. You know, so where people have kind of have this divide where like, well, that's for backyard people or that's for people who don't do anything but trail rides. Mm. But it's not. It's for everybody under the sun. And I want to help a lot more people that maybe haven't opened up to this this idea so much yet. So really, it is trying to to get that next generation. I think people are ready for it more now than ever. And Mm. now that we have resources that we can offer more support beyond that. I mean, I've worked with professionals forever, but it's, you need to really, there's only one me that could do that, you know? So now we're kind of setting up a place where we can really teach people more and take them a little further. So that I think is what's most exciting to me right now. Wow. Okay. Look, that sounds wonderful. Certainly a good thing, a positive thing for the, um, for the horse world, you know, we can increase horse welfare because there's a better understanding, better communication with people and, you know, well-trained horses are safe horse. Exactly. And that's exactly it. If I think if people really embrace this training and they slow down, they look at from the horses into things, it is a welfare issue. It does become compassionate. You know, we do slow down and the horse can enjoy it. Mm. And I, I worked with uh, somebody that's in New Zealand, just went over there um, in our summer, which is their winter, and it's a gal named Helen McNaught McFarland and her husband Duncan McFarland, and they're big show jumpers. And it was a horse who had, he, he just had low confidence. He's a young, talented stallion. He just had some confidence issues. Well, now he thinks it is the funnest game in the world. <laughs> but one of the things she kept saying is, you know, at some point, we're not going to be able to because she comes from very much the, the show jumping world. She goes, we won't be able to have six horse herds. So then what do we do? You know, so she's kind of saying, we, you know, let's help them to really love this and enjoy it. And she's done a great job with that horse. His name's Double Whoopi. And it is, it is fun to see, but she really embodies, I think, and where I think the, the industry is going to be going. There, I tell you, horses are next on the chopping block as far as the animal rights people, you know, that if we don't kind of look at things and be responsible and help come up with some good solutions for things, we're kind of our target for animal activists. And mm-hmm. that's something we need to really think about, I think, to keep our eyes open and be ahead of that game, not not wait until we get police from the outside, but let's come up with some solutions and ways that we can create happy horses and happy athletes and and safe horses, just like you said. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's right. Come up from the inside. Be ahead of the game. Don't wait for animal activists to say we shouldn't be doing this and we shouldn't be doing that. Let's make it so that we know the horses are happy and we know the horses are enjoying what they do with us. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm excited about your positive reinforcement training and we'd love to get you back on again, Shauna. So hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. But if people want to contact you, now I know that you've got ontargettraining.com, which is on-target-training.com. Is that the best place to contact you? That's the best way? Yes. Perfect. That is the best way. And you can can look at Terra Nova Training Center is the training center where we're putting together and a place where people can come visit, and we have a newsletter there. And then I also have a podcast called Equine Clicker 101, which walks you through stages of doing addressing different issues with the positive reinforcement. So it really is like a classroom kind of thing. And so that's another thing. And then I also have my Ask Sona questions, which are uh, a place where you can submit questions. And you can find all of those on my website. So the website is a great place to go at the on-target-training.com, which (laughs) is very good for you to get those dashes in there. Okay. (laughs) All right. So if you've got questions about clicker training, about positive reinforcement, Shauna's got a very good Q&A section on her website already. So you don't even need to contact her a lot of the time. You can just go to the website, go through the Q&A, and that'll probably answer the question that you've got. Okay. Um, Excellent. Yeah. And, uh, Shauna, that's great. I think um, I'll talk to you soon, you know, about coming back on, but it's been wonderful. You know, getting a message out to the horse world, I think that's one message that we certainly need to get out there and to work towards positive reinforcement and do what we can. I love that. It has been a real pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to talking to you again and hopefully seeing you down there sometime soon. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.